1: Good afternoon and welcome to The Authentic Living Show. You know, most of us have been taught that guilt is a good thing. A guilty conscience keeps us in line, according to that teaching. Guilt drives us to do the right thing, or so we've been taught. But what if the human heart has enough passion and compassion to motivate correct action without the use of guilt? What if guilt has been put in place because we don't trust the authentic self to direct us? What if guilt is the lie and the heart of the authentic self is the truth? What if we've been so busy being good that we haven't put any energy into being real? If those things were true, wouldn't we need to rethink our responses to guilt? For too many, guilt is how they make every important decision so that it ultimately runs their lives. If you're one of those, or if guilt has a strong hold on you, this show is for you, so stay here for it all today. So let's first talk about what guilt is and what guilt isn't. Guilt is a form of anxiety. It is a way. Uh, it is a, an anxious feeling that comes with some thoughts that produce the possibility of punishment or of, of uh, you know, we're having done the wrong thing. So the feeling comes with the thought. The feeling, the feeling of guilt, comes with the thought that says I've done something wrong, and I'm probably going to get punished for it. Often guilt is the punishment we don't do what guilt tells us to do and so guilt comes around and nags us and nags us and nags us and nags us until we finally either give in and give what, we, what, what it wants us to give or we apologize for not having done so and therefore avoid any further punishment so guilt is a form of anxiety. And it goes with thoughts that tell us that we've done something wrong. Where do we get our ideas that something's wrong and something's right? Generally speaking, from our family systems. We, we grow up, every one of us, in families that teach us what's right and what's wrong. And in those families of origin, we learn that specific things are wrong, and specific things are right, and there may be some areas that are a little bit uh, cloudy about that, but you got to find out which one is right and which one is wrong and do the right thing. In those cases, what happens is we get guilt defined for us, as we're infants even. We get guilt defined for us. Sometimes guilt can be defined for us by a look on somebody's face. They don't say you did the wrong thing, they just communicate it with a look on their face. So a lot of the language that happens between a, a parent and a an infant between the ages of zero and three, it, is nonverbal. It's all nonverbal to the infant. And when the infant is looking at that kind of communication, that's all they have to go by is what they pick up in the subtle nuances of nonverbal behavior. And so they determine what's wrong and right, even in those early stages, by the looks on your face, by the, the body language that you use, by the, what the essence that's in the air between them and you. So there's a lot that's been going on all along about teaching us what's right and what's wrong, whether it's ever been said or not. But a lot of that can get really skewed. So in some families, uh, let's give, for example, uh, a family that is uh, the mother and father are KKK members. In those families, children are taught that black people and people of uh, color and people of other races are bad. They're somehow evil and they're not really supposed to be here, and that they're not supposed to have any rights, and that they're not, uh, they can't possibly be good people. They can't possibly be loved. And so those children grow up believing that it's wrong to love those people of other races. They also think that it's wrong to love people who are LGBTQ. It's wrong to love people who don't have the same ideas about re- life that they do. And so those children grow up in that home believing that idea of what's wrong and what's right. Osama bin Laden and his men thought it was a good thing to fly planes into the trade towers. A lot of Americans disagree. So you see, wrong and right are relative. They're relative to the family we grew up in. And those are just the, you know, the extreme examples that I just gave, but there are other examples that are much less extreme, but still don't necessarily define wrong and right. In some families, there's such a rigid order of right and wrong that comes from a hyper-religiosity that there is this sense that um, even a thought can be evil, even a a feeling can be evil, and that we must hide ourselves from our deep inner nature because it might be evil. So there's a lot that goes on in this whole idea of what's wrong and what's right that is not necessarily right (laughs) and could be pretty wrong. Uh, it, it it is not true uh, that guilt is a good thing. Guilt is an unnecessary and oftentimes very dangerous and, and uh, dysfunctional thing. Uh, well, how can I say that? Well, you know, because we you know we want people to have a guilty conscience, right? I remember my sister saying, "What's the matter? You got a guilty conscience." You know, when I would look a certain way or feel a certain way, and I always would resent that because I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong, but I was being accused of it, and she was thinking that, that my silence or the look on my face meant that I was guilty. So that 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 idea of being guilty then drives us. Uh, and some people think it drives us to do the right thing. So um, for example, You're, uh, you've got a Saturday off, first Saturday off you've had in a long, long time, and you're looking forward to being off on Saturday and doing some things that you've wanted to do and have postponed doing, and your aunt calls you and says she needs you to come over and mow her lawn, and her lawnmower uh, guy is uh, sick and in the hospital and can't do it, and she needs you to do it and so your guilt comes up and says oh you should do this you should do this you should do this it's not loving to to not do this service for her but it's the first saturday you've had in a long time and you've got plans and so but you drive yourself to do what you think you should do because it's it's selfish you think to stay do do the things that you had planned to do and so guilt pushes you and pushes you and pushes you and pushes you until you finally cave in And you go over and mow your aunt's lawn, and you you end up spending a long time doing that because she's got a big yard, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. And you get home, and you're just exhausted, and now you don't have the energy to do the things that you really plan to do, and nor do do you have the time. And now you feel resentment because you you wish you hadn't done it. You wish that you had not done that for your aunt, but you also feel like you were a good person because you did the right thing. That's how guilt works. It can run our lives that way. And some would say, well, isn't it selfish to stay home and and take care of your own needs when your aunt has a stronger need? No, it's not. In fact, what what is true is what is true. uh, Even in the Christian world, Jesus said there will come a time when people worship in truth and in spirit. He didn't say they'll worship in shoulds and ought tos and have tos. He said they'll worship in truth and in spirit. Um, and Many of the other religions have that same idea that we're to come from something genuine inside of ourselves, not from some should, some ought to, some have to. One of the things that Jesus did over and over and over again is break the rules. Um, all the rigid rules that uh, the Pharisees tried to catch him in and, and he just continued to do what he thought his truest, authentic self, which he called the source, the Father, was telling him to do. So, you know, even in that religion where morality seems uh, to be tantamount is the most important thing that in, in that religion, that's not what the Bible seems to indicate. So we have some ideas about guilt that are, that are just not really true. We think that we need guilt. To get us to do the right thing. We we think that guilt is therefore a good thing. That it helps us to to do the right thing. And if we didn't have guilt, we'd probably just go do the wrong thing all the time. But that leaves out the human heart. It leaves out true passion and compassion that can be directive in our lives. So passion says, I really want to do this. This is exciting to me. I'm interested in this. This is fantastic. Let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. And compassion says I want to do this for you because I love you and I ache for you and I want to give you this and it's a desire inside of me that burns inside of me and I, I just have to respond to that in a positive way. So that's what compassion says. Both of those two are genuine. Guilt is fake. Guilt is, uh, tells us to do things that are not true. It tells us to, it, it, it commands us it wants to rule us. It wants to take over our lives. And the more power we give it to to take over our lives, the more power it has to take over our lives. So every time I obey guilt and do what it says to do, do its bidding, the uh, the more that guilt is going to come up and try to tell me what to do. It's just like anything else. If you You know, uh, if you do the same thing in a routine all the time, your mind and your body begin to think that that routine is all there is. And when you get out of the routine, you don't know what to do. Well, it's the same way with guilt. If you let guilt rule you in one thing, it's going to rule you in another and then another and then another and then another until finally it rules your whole life. And I do work with a lot of people, have worked with a lot of people over the years who are ruled by guilt. That's the reason I wrote the book Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. Because there's so many people who are trying so hard to be good because they're so afraid of feeling guilty, because they're so afraid of that feeling of worthlessness that comes when they don't do what they consider to be good, that they get themselves in terrible situations. They get themselves involved in, in abusive relationships and can't get out because they feel trapped by guilt. The guilt tells them that they should turn the other cheek and that they should keep being kind and that they should bargain. and Maybe he'll change. Maybe he'll stop doing it. Maybe he'll be better to me if I just serve him better, forgive him more, show him more kindness, turn the other cheek. Those are bargains. They aren't reality. And we know, we've talked about bargaining before on this show. Bargaining is a stage of grief in which we say, if I then he'll, or then she'll. If I do this, then he'll do that. If I do this, then she'll do that. And the hope is that we're going to be able to work out a deal. The only problem with it is twofold. One, we're working out a deal with somebody without ever talking to them about the deal. And two, usually the deal is made out of fantasy. It's made out of an idea that the person can do what we want them to do, that they have either the capacity or the personality or the wherewithal to do what we want them to do. But Maya Angelou had a wonderful thing that she said that I have quoted over and over and over again that I really believe it's so true. She said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Bargaining does not believe them. Bargaining says, oh, you could be somebody else. I, you know, I want you to be somebody else. Therefore, you will be somebody else. And I'm just going to wait around until you become that somebody else. In the meantime, I'm being abused, I'm being harmed, and I'm losing more and more awareness of who I am. I'm losing more and more self-esteem. I'm losing more and more sense of empowerment. And I don't, um, I'm lost in a lot of guilt. And it's a miasma, you know, it's it's a blindfold that can come over your eyes and keep you from being able to actually um, figure out what to do next. So so guilt uh, can drive us. But it doesn't drive us to do the right thing. It drives us to do the things we've been taught to, uh, that we should do. And some of the things we've been taught that we should do are just not valid. So why should I give up my Saturday because my aunt waited to the last minute to figure out that she didn't have a lawnmower person? Or, or why should I wait to the last minute because she hasn't bothered to try to call somebody else besides me? Why should I have to give that up? Because uh, somebody else said they didn't they needed it, you know my time and my energy, why should I have to do that? Uh, so we think uh, guilt would tell us that oh that you're selfish you're selfish if you do the things that you want to do when somebody else wants you to do something else? Well what if that somebody else could find somebody else to do it? What if that somebody else could do it themselves? What if that somebody else uh, could postpone? That need for a few days. There's other options, you see, besides sacrifice. And when a person identifies with being a good person and wants so much to do the right thing that they feel guilty all the time and guilt runs their lives, they, they, uh, uh, they forget about uh, uh, self and they spend a lot of time sacrificing for other people. So sacrifice has its own problems with it. Sacrifice says, uh, if I, if I uh, give you this, then you'll give me that. Very often, that's what sacrifice says. So, okay, if you need me to move to another city I don't want to move to, and I have to sacrifice my job that I love, okay, I'll do that. But I'm waiting for you to let me have my turn later. I haven't ever discussed the fact that I want to turn with you. <laughs> but I, I'm expecting that I'll get a turn because I've sacrificed. And isn't that a good thing that I've done? And I'm waiting for the gods to reward me because I've done such a good thing by sacrificing. And it's a trick of the mind. It tells me I'm going to get something for what I've done. When actually what I've done is decide to give up a piece of myself for something you want. Now, I could do that same thing. I could still give up that job and move to another city and find another job that I like just as much if I think of it that way. But a lot of times we don't think of it that way because we're so identified with being good and doing the right thing and guilt runs our lives so much that we think first in terms of sacrifice and second in terms of all the other options. There's always other options, and that's what we haven't thought of. We haven't considered the possibility that there's other options besides responding to guilt and sacrifice. So let's talk a little bit more about sacrifice. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament of the Christian Bible that, that is used often in other religions as well because it's a real clear definition of love. It's in Corinthians chapter 13. And one of the things it says in there, and I believe it's in verse three, it says, uh, if I give all my goods to the poor and give my body to be burned, but it doesn't come from love, it means nothing. Zippo, not a thing. It means nothing. Why? Because it didn't come from love. It didn't come from true passion, which is a form of love, or compassion, which is a form of love. It comes from this need to should. This I've got to because it's the right thing to do. I've got to because I should. I've got to because I'll feel so guilty if I don't. I've got to because I have to. I've got to because I'm obligated to. I've got to because it's my duty. That means nothing. And why would it mean nothing? Because it's not genuine, it's not real. I have this image in my mind that only the things that are really genuine are being recorded in some book of life somewhere. Only the things that are real. All those other things that aren't real are not being recorded because they're not even real. They're, they're, they're emptiness. They're void. They don't make any make marks. So they're not real. But we look around the world, and we see a lot of what we call Evil. And we say, oh, there's all that evil out there, so I have to have a guilty conscience to keep me from doing evil. Again, we don't trust the human heart to be enough. We don't trust passion and compassion to, to motivate correct action without the use of guilt. But passion and compassion are true, authentic motivators. They do get us to the correct action. We don't need guilt. Guilt is an, an, a, an empty extension that causes us a lot of pain in a lot of agony, because we think it's the right thing. It's a good thing. It's a should thing. It's an ought to thing. And so we live in that frame of mind that's just waiting for the next guilty feeling to come along to motivate us to do the next thing we have to do. And it can be all day, every day. I'll do this because I should. I'll do this because this makes me into a good person. I'll do this because I should. I'll do this because I have to. I'll do this because I'm obligated. I'll do this because it's my duty. But I never have time we're doing this because I want to, because I truly desire to out of my passion or my compassion. In fact, we've been taught that what we should do is put duty on the front burner and, and want to or desire on the back burner. In fact, it probably should be thrown off the stove, ju- st- the stove altogether because it's selfish. Having a desire is selfish. That's what we've been taught. Many of us have been taught that having a desire is selfish. We're going to spend some time talking about desire and what it means to have a desire and how desire can make us an authentic person, whereas shoulds, oughts, obligations, and guilt make us into a plastic person. And we'll be right back to talk about that some more. Stay tuned.
0: joy and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you define find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment.
2: If you're lost in the dating world and need GPS, if you're stuck in dating hell and can't get out, if you're in need of a dating intervention, then Done Being Single with hosts Trevor and Robbie Sharp is your lifeline to love. From hookups to happily ever after, learn how to navigate single life and find the one. Tune in to Done Being Single, Saturdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back talking today about whether or not guilt might be running your life. So what we said thus far is guilt is a form of anxiety that uh, uh, drives us to do what we consider to be the right thing. But the right thing is always questionable because we learned what was right and wrong. From our family systems, our families of origin, where that could be, you know, questionable. So some people might say that it's right to uh, to not uh, to not love other people in certain ways and not love certain races or certain uh, sexual orientations. Other people think that it is right to do that. And so, what is right and wrong is up for grabs because it's a it's not a standardized definition that's around the world. One thing is the right thing for all of us. Um, but, uh, and the other thing is we, we said that guilt is, uh, drives us to do what we should and we ought to rather than allowing us to feel our compassion and our passion, which are true, genuine motivators and t- compassion and passion are forms of desire. So we said, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what that means to desire something to desire something is to, to want it very badly. Um, now I'm not talking about a compulsion a compulsion is I'm a drun- I'm drunk and I need another beer I'm compelled to have another beer or I'm uh, uh, I'm compelled to do anything that I might be compelled to do I'm I, I might uh, uh, have OCD and be compelled to clean and clean and clean and clean you know those are compulsions those are very obvious definitions of compulsions but compulsions feel different than desire desire is tinged with joy it's tinged with the, the, uh, uh, the pregnancy of possibility. It's, it's, uh, it's full of uh, the, the peace of, of um, the fullness of life, abundance. Desire has those qualities to it. And desire, I believe desire is sacred. In fact, the word that was used for Jehovah in the uh, Old Testament of the Christian Bible and the Jewish Tanakh is uh, uh, based in the word desire. Desire. It is to be, and also, and then the root of that is desire. So it it is almost as if the word Jehovah means the desire to be. And uh, that is what we're here to do. We're here to be. We're not here to should. We're not here to uh, uh, do duties. We're not here to obligate. We're here to be. Well, what does that mean? That means to be our genuine self. What does it mean to be a genuine self? Well, genuineness is the expression of the authentic self, the real you. It's thought, emotion, verbal expression, body language, and behavior that come from the deepest essential core of who we are. It is the congruence of thought, emotion, word, and deed so that an action is not way over here while an emotion is way over there. All aspects of being are working together in harmony when one is being genuine. It's not a mask and costume. It is genuineness of soul the essential authentic self revealed in thought, emotion, and action. So to be means to be genuine, to be who you actually are. But we've not been taught to be who we actually are. We've been taught to be who we should be, according to someone else's definition of what we should be. So we can recognize that real clearly. If a, if a young man grows up and he's an artist, and he grows up in a family where everyone in the family has always been a doctor, but he doesn't want to be a doctor, he wants to be an artist, and yet he's taught by his father and his mother that being a doctor is what he will be. Then he grows up and sacrifices his authenticity so that he can be what his parents need him to be. And that's a real obvious example, but that happens with morality as well. We sacrifice who we are for some idea about goodness, for some idea about what we should do and how we should be. So one of those ways that that happens, for example and this is one of the ways we sacrifice uh, our true powers of intuition and discernment in order to do the, what we think is the right thing. So it can be blinding, and it can turn out to be so wrong for us and for other people as well, all while we're, all the while we're trying to do the very rightest thing of all. So it looks like this. We've been taught to love everyone, right? We're always supposed to be kind and we're always supposed to love other people and we're always supposed to be, uh, you know, generous with other people. And so we meet someone on the street who appears to be kind and we uh, they come to us and offer us, you know, I ask us a question about direction. And uh, we trust them because we've been taught that trusting people is being kind to people. You should always give them the benefit of the doubt, right? You should always... Uh, ignore those other evil thoughts that tell you something's wrong here. Ignore that and be kind. So we're kind and someone kidnaps us or worse, murders us. That's an extreme example, I know, but it happens. It happens all the time. And what about the spouse that is abusive? Well, we're always being kind. We're being considerate. We're being forgiving again and again and again. And Being willing to give another chance. Being willing to overcome the doubt. Being willing to turn the other cheek. We're doing all that because we've been taught that it's a good thing to do all that. That's the right thing to do, right? Except that in the process we're getting abused and our kids are watching it. So is that really good after all? And yet in that process of being good, there's lots of guilt floating around in there that tells us we should... You know, we should keep doing this. We feel guilty if we're not doing that. Why? Because we've been taught that being kind and being good and being generous and being open and forgiving is is the way to be. We're never supposed to have anything else going on inside of us. So we feel guilty when we don't like someone. We feel guilty when we have thoughts about that someone that, te- that tell us that maybe that someone's up to something that probably wouldn't be good for us. We feel guilty when we tell ourselves well, my husband is uh, is abusive. We feel guilty about that because it seems like a, we're criticizing him. And that's wrong, right? It's wrong to criticize people. And so we go forward in, in a relationship that's not good for us or our children and probably not good even for the abuser because he's being enabled to continue to abuse. Not that it's the abused fault that the abuser abuses, but, but there is an enabling going on there. So uh, that... That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, where we're so caught up in being, trying so hard to do the right thing and the good thing, we're doing the wrong thing. You know, you know, the old adage that says, it's so right, it's wrong. It's so right, it's left. It's so right, it's wrong. It's that. It's that idea that, that there is a the way of living that is just not genuine. When we're genuine, we're able to get in touch with our true compassion and our passion, and we're able also to get in touch with our intuition and our discernment. And they can guide us, and they can tell us what's really going on in a relationship. And we can listen to that and, and do what that encourages us to do. When we're not genuine, we live out of shoulds and ought tos and have tos, and we worry all the time that we're going to do the wrong thing, and we worry all the time that somebody else is going to find find out that we're doing the wrong thing, and or that there might be some punishment involved as well. So So feeling guilty is a way of living, that is not genuine. It doesn't come from the authentic self. But that's not what we've been taught. We've been taught that feeling guilty is the way to live. In fact, if a person doesn't feel guilty after he's done something wrong, we say, oh, they must be really evil because they don't have any, what we call remorse. They don't have any remorse about with their actions. And certainly there are people out there, psychopaths, sociopaths, whatever you want to call them, that any social personality disorder, whatever you want to call them, that who, who don't feel remorseful after killing somebody or harming someone in some terrible way. Uh, they have shut off their, their emotions. They have something that's called elixithymia, and they have shut off their emotions, and they cut that cord between emotional responses and the reality they live into because they've identified so much with being bad. So today we're talking about identifying with being good, but there are some people in the world who identify with being bad. How can they do that? Well, they can do that because bad is an option. They can do that because we believe so strongly in good and evil. We think good and evil are the most important things in the world. That struggle between good and evil is the most important thing in the world. That's what we think. Well, we've been trying that for centuries now. Is it working? Hello? Have we changed any really? Because we've been believing in good and evil so hard, For so long, and that we're going to quell evil with goodness. We're going to go kill a bunch of people in the name of goodness. Is that working? Is it? Is it really changing anything? No. There's still wars and starvation and and um, greed and avarice everywhere. It's still out there. We haven't made one bit of difference by believing in that. So maybe we need to rethink that whole paradigm and consider the possibility that good and evil are not the thing. The thing is whether or not we can be genuine. Or not? It's not good and evil. It's true and false that makes the difference. If I'm being true to myself, then then I can make a real difference in people's lives. And we know the impact of that. We've all experienced somebody that we know to be a real person. And we'll say about them, well, he or she is a real person. And how do we know that? Because we can feel it. We can feel the impact of that person's genuineness on our hearts. And we recognize it that way. Well, uh, the, the same is true. So we have a bigger impact collectively when we collectively become more genuine. So as each individual within a group becomes more genuine, that group changes. Its dynamic changes. The way they talk to each other within that group changes. The way they communicate with each other non-verbally changes. The way they, they act and think and feel changes. And so that then impacts other groups, and that impacts other groups, and that impacts other groups, and that's how the world will change. It won't be done because we've decided to try harder to be good and overcome evil even more. That's been done and done and done and done and done and done, and it's not working. So to change the world means to be an authentic person in the world. But guilt tells us to not to be authentic. It tells us to do what we should. So I will say this point blank. There is never a time when guilt is a good thing. Even after we've done something to, that we know to have been harmful to somebody else, guilt is not the helpful feeling. Compassion would be a more helpful feeling. Feeling guilty just says, I'm bad, I've done wrong, I should be punished. Feeling compassion says, that other person is harmed and hurt, and I need to make amends. And there's a real big difference between the two of those. So when we're talking about g- guilt as a good thing, what we're really doing is telling a lie. We're telling a lie. We're believing that guilt is, is a, a thing that that offers us some some direction in life. But actually, guilt does not offer us anything but anxiety. It's an empty, vain, anxious feeling that offers us no more than just that. So so when we're talking about desire, desire says I want. Passion and desire says I want. Compulsion says I have to. I've got to have another drink. I've got to. Ego aggrandizement is also different from, from desire in that ego aggrandizement says I've got to pump up my ego. I've got to make sure that I feel superior to other people. And so one example of that might be somebody who's come from a background of poverty, and they believe that they were shamed for that. And so now they have to overcome all that shame by becoming, you know, some world-famous world person, a celebrity, or something like that. And that's going to somehow make them uh, okay. They're going to be okay because they have finally you know, overcome that shame. But uh, actually, so that's not desire. That's ego aggrandizement. And compensation is the same. Compensation means I'm going to compensate for not having had something by doing something else. I'm going I'm I'm to get back what I need because I need it and I didn't get it, so I'm going to get it back. Lots of children that come from, from uh, homes where there was abuse or neglect, feel a a need to have that need taken care of in their adult lives and they go through their lives picking out people very similar to their parents but expecting those people to be different than their parents because they're they're in that compensative kind of way of doing things that's not desire that's that's compensation desire says i have a feeling that is uh full of the potential for abundance i have a In this moment, in this particular moment, this this desire uh, says, this thing will fulfill me. Compassion fulfills us. It gives us something as well as giving somebody else something at the same time. So there's not a time when we can absent the self in order to give solely to another person. People talk about people that are selfless people. um, And they say, well, that's a good thing to be selfless. And what I say is, if you're selfless, you don't have a self. We have to have a self. That's what we came here to do, is to be, the desire to be. We came here to be. And that means being the self. And so when we, when we say that we should give up the self for other people, what we're really saying is I should give up my authenticity to be what other people need me to be. And that's just not the truth. So authenticity uh, recognizes and lives from desire, true desire. The desire that it has a passion for something, the desire that it has compassion for other people. We can build a whole life, a whole career out of compassion. We can write books out of compassion. We can sing songs out of compassion. We can take every step down a street out of compassion. We can do a lot of things out of compassion. Guilt will have us do the same thing, but from emptiness. It comes from emptiness. It doesn't come from fulfilling uh, ourselves, our truest authenticity. It comes from emptiness. It comes from an empty should, an empty have to. Even Jesus in the Western religion knew that that was empty. So he didn't do those things. He didn't do those have to's, those ought to's, those obligations. He healed people on the Sabbath because of his compassion. But the Pharisees were saying, no, you shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath because that's against the rules. You You should feel guilty. But he didn't. So compassion and passion and are these forms of desire that are fulfilling to us and to other people. They offer us the potential for joy, for uh, for truth, for genuineness, for something that's very uh, complete in our lives. Alright, so we'll be back in a few minutes to talk some more about the, the distinction between guilt and authenticity. Stay tuned for more right after this.
0: It's your
2: world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work, and you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Are you frustrated that you can't seem to achieve your goals? Stop struggling and discover your power on Creatrix creating the life you want, hosted by Amira Mondin. This show features the world's most intriguing guests, ready to guide you to self-realization using the powerful gift of your own mind. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Sometimes the curveballs that life throws you are just too much to handle. You may have been abused. You may be going through serious addictions. You may be bullied. You may think it's over. And nobody cares. Stop. There is a forum for you. Listen for Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out, hosted by Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher. We give you a voice and provide an outlet for your stories. We can help, one show at a time. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back talking today about guilt and whether or not it might be running your life. So we've said a lot in the previous segments of this show talking about the difference between guilt, which is a form of anxiety, and passion and compassion, which are forms of desire. And we've clarified more about what desire is, what living genuinely is. So I want to talk a little bit now about what we can do if we do have guilt running our lives. Uh, One of the things that's really important for us to understand is that we have an inner world an inner world that, that is, means to communicate with us. It wants to tell us what it's feeling, what's going on in there, so that we can live our lives according to something that's much more authentic. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that comes up in response to that is what we've been taught to be negative emotions. One of the things that people who feel guilty all the time tend to think is that when we have resentment or fear or anger or sorrow, those are negative emotions and we shouldn't have those so they push those away and, 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 and try really hard not to feel those things. And they go away into the unconscious where they fester and mold. And then when they come out, they come out in some uglier form. Um, and um, so there, it, it isn't good to push them away. And there is no such thing as a negative emotion. There's no such thing as a positive emotion. either. all just neutral emotions. They're just responses from the inner world. And so, therefore, when we stay in touch with those responses from the inner world, we can get clearer about what we want to be doing in our lives. Uh, and that clarity can be very very much a, a guiding force. So, uh, so w- let's look at some of those emotions for just a minute. Uh, there's more about this in the book, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. Uh, and you can find the whole chapters on uh, called My Friend Resentment. My friend, anger, my friend, fear, my friend, sorrow, my friend, intuition, my friend, discernment, my friend, desire. So, you can find whole chapters on those things in that book that will, are, are really very, give a lot of examples and are, are very helpful in terms of working with this whole problem of guilt. Uh, but for now, I just want to go over them briefly. Resentment is one of the best things we can ever feel. <laughs> And the reason why it's so good for somebody who feels guilty all the time is because it tells us that we are living our lives in a plastic way. Resentment tells us that we're doing a lot of things that are not genuine. We're, we're serving other people. We're sacrificing for other people. We're doing the so-called right thing all the time. All the while, we're building a big old huge barrel full of resentment that it grows and grows and grows. And I have literally had people come to see me to uh, to say that they want me to help them get rid of their resentment, but what I want them to do is begin to listen to the resentment because resentment is a uh, is li- in in the French language is literally means resentir I think is how you say that and it literally means to feel again. So it keeps coming up and coming up and coming up so that we can pay attention to it. It doesn't go away; it grows stronger. Um, uh, and, and and as it grows stronger, it's meaning to tell us something. But over years and years of expressing, um, you know, only what we consider to be positive and trying so hard to be good and living out of guilt, we build a lot of resentment because our desires are being quashed. Our authenticity is being quashed in the name of shoulds, have-tos, and ought-tos. And so resentment comes up and it says, You've been doing a lot of stuff that's not really genuine, and you don't feel good about it. You're, you feel like that you are getting left out of the picture. And the truth is that it's not either or. It's not either I serve others or I serve me. It's never that way. There's no way to absent the self and not be present when we serve others. We get something out of everything. Everything we do, we are getting something out of it. Even when we're doing something plastic, we're doing it because we think it helps us survive. We're doing it because we think it makes us feel less guilty or it makes us feel more worthy. Even then, we're getting something out of everything we do. There's no way to absent the self and leave it behind and sacrifice that for other people. It's just not possible. And that's what resentment comes to tell us. I'm here. The authentic self is here and it has real desires and you are ignoring them. That's what resentment comes to tell us. What about anger? Anger is uh, one of those emotions that people who are trying really hard to be good all the time and, and, and they're feeling guilty all the time, just they don't want to feel angry. They feel really, really guilty when they get angry. And sometimes they get real angry. Sometimes they pushed away the anger so much for so long that, they, that when it, somebody drops that proverbial straw, they just blow. And then, of course, after they blow, they're feeling really apologetic, and I'm so sorry, and they feel really guilty, and they want to take it all back and say, I didn't really mean any of those things I said, when, in fact, they probably did mean several of those things they said. So so anger uh, actually has, has come to tell us that there's something wrong. Its message, generally speaking, not specifically speaking, but generally speaking is, that's, there's something wrong somewhere, and it, it is telling me that I, it's giving me uh, a notice, putting me on notice that I am, that I'm here, that I'm real, and that I matter. That's what anger has come to say. Wait just a minute. I am here, I am real, and I freaking matter. That's what anger has come to say most of the time. Or something we value and love matters. Um, those are the, that's what angers come to say. And it, and it means to give us our I am back. You know, one of the things that, that, uh, even in the Western religion, Jesus, uh, perpetuates is this I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the Old Testament, uh, uh Charles Fillmore, who wrote the, the book on, uh, metaphysical interpretations of the Bible, he, uh, he says that whenever we see the word Lord, in the Old Testament, or the Jewish Tanakh, it actually means I am. So when we see the word Lord, there's an I am there. And so when Jesus uses the words I am, he is perpetuating that same idea. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, the source of me, the, the, the real power inside of me, which he declared himself was the Father, which is the source of all things. The The source of me is the way, the truth, and the life. Not Jesus as the person, but the source of Jesus as the person, who was the source of all things that Jesus did, because even Jesus said, I uh, can do nothing of my own initiative. It it all comes from the source. So he's saying, "I, I am sourced. Everything I am is sourced in the I am. And that I am is our power. And we get it back when we allow anger to give us that message. Now, when we just go off and, you know, blurt out our anger or go hit somebody or go do something inappropriate with our anger, we're, we're misusing it. It's meant for us to sit with it and listen to it and hear its voice and then make a decision about what it is that the I am wants and go get it. Um, so uh, anger is a, is a genuine feeling and it gives us genuine information about how to live a genuine life. And we've been telling ourselves that it's a bad feeling. We should never have it. That's not the truth. So what about fear? You know, We've heard a lot of information over the past 10 to 20 years telling us that fear is the opposite of love and that where there's love, there is no fear, and that where there's fear, there's no love, and that those are polar opposites, just like good and evil. I don't believe that. In fact, fear can be very loving to us. Fear can tell us to slow down, Look around, pay attention. Something's not working for us. Something's not really true for us anymore or what or, or never was. Um, uh, something is uh, too much to do. Something is uh, all wrong for our personality. Fear can tell us all kinds of things. It can give us really solid direction if we listen to it and let it give us its message. And that's what we're being asked to do by, with, with fear. Fear has come up to challenge us to do more about what's genuine for us to do. More genuineness, less, less ingenuineness. And, uh, and so even when the fear is not, doesn't seem to be what we call rational, it, does, it seems to be a fear based in old things, old unresolved issues in our lives. Even then, it can help us resolve those issues. It comes up. It seems to be there for no reason. But when we begin to connect the dots, we begin to say, oh, I see, this is telling me something about my past that is going to help me grow through it or heal old wounds. So even then, fear can be very helpful. So fear is a wonderful friend to us. Sorrow. Sorrow is one of those things we just do not want to have to feel. We don't want to ever feel the real ache the real woundingness of sorrow. We just don't want to go there. We will do just about anything to avoid it. I've literally had people say in my office, many people over the years have said to me, when, you know, can, it's, it's almost as if they're looking at their watch going, Can I be through with this grief in 10 minutes? <laughs> could I be through with it in two weeks? Maybe I could, okay, maybe I could do two weeks, but no more than that. It's almost as if they're saying that. That's not what they're saying, of course. What they are saying is, When is this going to be over? When is this going to be over? And what they're saying is, I just don't want to have to feel these feelings. But sorrow changes the landscape and makes it more authentic. You know how a river, you know they say the Mississippi River changes the banks of the river along the way uh, uh, many times a year. And uh, so that's kind of what sorrow does. It changes the banks. It changes the landscape uh, to be more real, to make it more real. We come from a different place after we've experienced real sorrow. We come from a more genuine place. We appreciate life more. We appreciate in, yeah, contact with other people more. We appreciate love more. We, we allow grief, we allow sorrow to have its say in our lives, and we change as a result of that. We become gen, more genuine, more connected to real life, not just living plastic lives. So sorrow can be a very helpful emotion, and we need to allow room for it in our lives and allow room to just experience it and express it and let it be what it is. And that doesn't mean we have to go around crying all the time and making ourselves feel sorrow. It does mean, however, that when sorrow is there, it needs to be experienced. Um, don't push it away. Go ahead and experience it. And what about these uh, uh, our, our personal powers? Intuition, that's another one that can help us to get past living a guilty life and start living a, a genuine life. Intuition is one of those invisible sort of uh, traits that we have within us that seems to come from nowhere but has a very powerful kick. It, it, it tells us that something is up, My my so my radar is going off, and I can feel something is going on here, and I just know that it's true, and that's that. It doesn't come from uh, the uh, empirical data. It doesn't come from, uh, even sometimes from observation. It just comes from our gut. And it just says, something is up here and I need to look at it. I need to look at it, look at it, look at it. And when we listen to it, it can guide us in some amazing ways. It can really guide us in some amazing ways. And so that's, that's something that's been out there. For the past 10 years or so, people have talked more about intuition and what it can do for us. Um, So we don't need to say a whole lot more about that. Um, Discernment is another thing that's a personal power. Uh, Discernment says that I'm observing what you do at the same time that I'm observing how I feel about what you do. And I'm putting the two together, and I'm discerning how that's going to impact me. And I'm making decisions about that. So if I go out on a date with you and you do something that I consider to be uh, be inappropriate or I consider to be against my truest values, then I can say, well, I probably don't want to date you again. Some people would say, well, that's just being unkind and selfish. But actually, it's being discerning. And that's what we need to do. Be discerning. Um, And desire, of course, I've already talked about desire, but desire is another form of personal power. It can show us where, where to go next, what to do next, based on just simply desire. There are so many people out there who've lived lives so full of guilt and the anxiety of guilt that they don't even know what their desires are. They don't even know what they want in a given day. And so I will very often give assignments to say, go home and next Saturday spend two hours doing nothing but what you want to do. And sometimes they come back and say, that was so hard because I don't know what I want to do. But I say, well, it's got to be an experiment. Just experiment with what you want to do. Say, I think I would like a cup of tea instead of a cup of coffee today, and try it and see how it works. Try it and see how it works. Those experimentations can get us in touch with our deeper authenticity. So we've talked today about guilt, and we've said what we've said is that guilt is not a good thing. Guilt is a lie. Guilt ha- has been put in place as a substitute for the authentic self, and we have sacrificed the authentic self in the name of guilt. Many times. So when you feel guilty next time, what I would encourage is that you say to yourself, hmm, what do I really desire to do here? Not what should I do, or what do I really desire to do? Try it. Try and experiment. See what happens. Okay, that's our show for today. We're going to be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. <music>
0: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.